Good morning. Ooh, I could hear my breathing in there, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, how is everybody doing? Come on, guys. Come on. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm in the hot seat. You guys got to give me some encouragement here. Um, so, <laughs> did someone just boo me? Uh, <laughs> I was like, that's the opposite of what I was talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, it's almost fall. For those of you who don't know, I've been kind of in the fall spirit for a while now. Um, but I'm excited. Fall is kind of like a time where things start to change. Um, some of us are coming back from summer trips and different things like that, getting back into routine with the kids going back to school and different things like that. Uh, so it's kind of an exciting time. I see a lot more people here today, which is cool because that means everybody's kind of coming back. Um, so anyways, it's exciting. It's a good time. I, as I was thinking about what I was going to be preaching on today, I was thinking about kind of my favorite books in the Bible. I preached on Esther, the book of Esther, a long time ago, and I was like really excited to go through that book. Um, so I decided to preach on one of my other favorite books, which is the book of Ruth. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew there's a book called Ruth. It's four chapters. It's super quick to read. Um, the reason I like some of these stories and even a lot of the Old Testament stories is because there's a lot of truth and teaching that you can get from these books, just from like learning about the people who are in them. So there's a lot that we can really get from the book of Ruth. Um, I, as James said earlier, I'm preaching on the topic of bitterness, which I think is really tied to what James and Maria were talking about the last couple of weeks about division. And so I kind of hope, I'm hoping it'll like lead into what I was, what I'm planning to speak about today. Uh, so a little bit of background on the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, you'll find um, one of the main characters' name is Naomi. Uh, she is an elderly Jewish woman, and basically she moved from Bethlehem. Most of us know that name because of the story, Christmas story. She moved from Bethlehem to a place called Moab. And the reason why she did that is because in Bethlehem at the time, there was a really severe famine. There was no food growing there. There was basically, they couldn't make a living, her and her family. So her husband and her and her two sons decided to make this trek to a country called Moab. The interesting thing about Moab is that it was an enemy nation of Israel. So they decided to travel to this land where basically they were enemies with these people, but they, had, they felt they had to in order to have some kind of sustenance, some kind of living. But while she's there, really bad things start to happen. First, Naomi's husband passes away, and she's left with her two sons, and they have now married two Moabite women. So her sons are married to these women, but then both of her sons actually die. And so now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and uh, a woman named Orpah. So after this happens, kind of a custom of that time, like we, they, you know how right now we have like an old, uh, like old age security, we have pensions, we have RSPs, we have all these plans for our retirement. Back then, that wasn't really the case. If you were a woman at that time and you didn't have a husband to take care of you, you didn't have sons to take care of you, you were basically out of luck. You didn't really have a future because there was no one to take care of you. Customarily, uh, if your husband passed away and you were an elderly woman, 
your sons would then take you into their home and they would take care of you. And so their retirement plan was essentially, I need to have a son when I'm young enough to do that. And then once I have a son, then I'm guaranteed to have security when I age. But Naomi doesn't have a husband and she doesn't have sons anymore. And so she realizes that she doesn't have a future in Moab anymore, and she decides to go back to Bethlehem. So her and Ruth and Orpah, they start heading towards Bethlehem, and Naomi stops and she's like, you guys, why are you coming with me? She's like, you're not even Jewish. These people, like, they, they don't know you. You have no reason to come with me. Go back to your father's houses and get remarried. She's like, you have no reason to come with me. You shouldn't suffer like I am. You have a chance at a future. Because Orpah and Ruth were still young enough that they could get remarried. They could have more kids. They could have kids. Neither of them did. They could have some kids, and then their security would be set. So Naomi's trying to be selfless here. Maybe she's, I don't know, but maybe she's feeling a little bit of self-pity. I don't know if you guys have ever felt self-pity where you're like, just leave me. Leave me alone to die. I don't want you here. Maybe she's feeling that way. I don't know. But basically, she tries to convince them to go back, and Orpah's like, cool. I was waiting for you to say that. I really didn't want to go. Um, so she says, goodbye. Love you, Naomi. Thanks for the good times. I'm heading back to my dad's house. But Ruth is a different story. Ruth is like, no. Like, she wasn't just like, are you sure? And then she's like waiting for her to say it again. Like, she's like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm going with you. And Naomi's like, you really don't want to do that. But she continues to say, I'm going with you. It's pretty crazy to think of what Ruth is saying here because sometimes we read through these stories. And the thing I love about reading through Old Testament stories is that you read them through and you're like, wow, that was a nice story. But if you read them slower, you're like, whoa, this actually, like, put yourself in the shoes of the person you're reading about. Because Ruth is saying, I will leave everything I know, all my family, think about if you were, like, doing this. I will leave my family, I'll leave my friends, I'll leave my religion, I'll leave everything that I've ever known so that I can take care of you, so that I can be with you. She's like, I'm going. And there's nothing you can do or say that was going to make me not do that. And not only that, but Naomi's not going to be able to take care of Ruth. She knows that. El Naomi is an elderly woman. She's not like going to have some plan of how they're going to be able to have a life in Bethlehem. And so Ruth doesn't even have any idea what the future holds. She doesn't have any security. She's not actually like, oh, well, at least we'll have this person to take care of us when we get there. So eventually, Naomi gives up trying to persuade her to go back, and she basically lets her come. And we read about this in Ruth chapter 1. If you guys have your Bibles, it'll mostly be in the book of Ruth. So we're going to read Ruth chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. 
May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Naomi goes, or Ruth goes with Naomi. They travel back to Bethlehem where Naomi originally was from. And as they're making their way kind of into the city, some people from the city see them. And they're kind of like looking from a distance and they're like, is that Naomi? They're like, they left so long ago. Like, is that really her? And so they're kind of coming around and asking these questions, being like, Naomi, is that you? And she responds to them in verse 20 and 21 of Ruth chapter 1. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So why did she do this? What was she doing by basically saying, don't call me by my name? The name Naomi actually means pleasant one or pleasant. And the name Mara actually means bitter one or bitter. And back in biblical times, and I believe also today, names had a lot of significance. It wasn't like, oh, you just name your kid whatever. It was like, I named them this because of this. There's a reason why I'm giving them this name. It's because it means something. And I, every time I call their name, that's what I'm calling them. I'm calling them pleasant, calling them pleasant one. There's a lot of times throughout scripture where God will actually change someone's name. He'll give someone a new meaning. So, for example, Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Simon became Peter. There was a lot of times where God would intervene and he would say, this is now your name. I'm calling you this because your life is now going to be like this. But here, it's a little bit different. It's because Naomi is choosing to give herself a new name. She's speaking something else over herself. Because of the pain that she's gone through, because of the things that she's, she's had to deal with and the trauma that she's gone through, she is now choosing to call herself bitter. She's choosing to associate with bitterness and not with hope. So, not that this is something we can't understand, right? Because Naomi's gone through a lot. She's, dealt, she's dealing with a lot of pain right now. But in this moment, she can't bear to be called pleasant. She can't bear to have her life defined by pleasantness because she looks around when people call her Naomi and she's like, are you kidding me? She's like, look at what my life has become. You don't see my husband with me. You don't see my sons with me. There's a reason for that. Look at my life. Look what's come of it. How can you call me pleasant? That makes no sense. And so she says, now I'm going to be called Mara. And every time someone would come up to her and they'd say, Mara, she'd think, bitter one. Yep, that's me. I'm bitter. And she would nod her head and she would nurse her resentments. And this really isn't to pick on Naomi. I don't like doing that. Sometimes you have to point out things that people are doing in scripture that maybe aren't so good because you have to learn from them. But I actually relate to Naomi quite a bit. Um, there was a time, some of us, some of you guys know our story a little bit, but just to kind of give you a little bit of a, a short part of it. Um, when Caden, our son, he's seven now, he was about one 
we uh, got pregnant, and I knew I wanted to have more kids right away. I don't know. It was weird. I like had this like eight-month-old baby, and I'm like, I just want another one. <laughs> like, this is great. Um, and I got pregnant, and then at 10 weeks, I miscarried, which I was really confused about because I had heard about it, but no one really talks about it happening to them. And I thought it was really weird, and I was like, something's wrong. And so I went to the doctor, and they were like, actually, it's pretty common. Um, most likely, it won't happen again. It's just like one of those things that happens. And so I was like, okay. I mean, it sucks. I was really sad. But I was like, okay, well, maybe this is just how it is. So I went back, and I, we got pregnant again, and we were like, this is going to be fine. Like, it's a fluke. It was nothing's going to happen. And then at six weeks, I actually miscarried again. Um, and this time, so the first time, my response was just like, I was really sad. I was heartbroken. But the second time, I was just like super angry. I was like frustrated. I was confused. I had a lot of anger. And it was like I didn't really know how to process those things. I felt guilty for feeling that way because I was like, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel angry. And so I kind of like vented to people and then I internalized it. And before I knew it, I was actually quite bitter. And the thing about bitterness is that it doesn't just affect the area where you're bitter. It overflows into everything. So if there's a root of bitterness that has come in, it's not like, well, I'm only bitter about this situation. It's like, no, now you're bitter about that guy who budged in front of you in line and you want to, like, punch him in the face. And you have all this hatred. And you're like, where is this coming from? I don't think that's very good, but I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know what to do about it. And I felt this bitterness just, like, sinking into my soul. And I had no way of getting rid of it, or I felt like I had no way of getting rid of it. I just felt angry all the time. And like, I don't know if you guys have felt this way or you've seen maybe people who are like this, but they're just like angry at everything. And you're like, why are you so heated about this? And they probably can't even tell you. But I would like not even like it when people were happy. It's like so, so mean to say. But like people would be like, oh, I'm pregnant on Facebook. And I'd be like, I hate that person. Like I hate them. And like all of this like anger would like boil up inside of me and it actually felt like it was out of control. And in order to like justify my attitude, I'd be like, well, I'm going through a lot right now. You know, even to myself, I'd be like, I shouldn't be doing that. Like almost like I'm feeling the conviction. And then I'd be like, but I'm going through something. This is my process. I just have to hate people right now. So during that time, I decided, I, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but my middle name is Hope. And so the reason I really relate to Naomi is because she's like, I, I don't want to associate with my name. I didn't want to associate with my name either. Because I would like log into Facebook and I'd be like, Kristen Hope. And then I'd be like, that's a laugh. You know what I mean? Like, sounds so dramatic. But I was just like, that's a joke. You know what I mean? Like, this makes no sense. Why would I ever... Why would I ever call myself that? Like, no one has to know that's my middle name. That's silly. So I've been in that place where it's really hard for me to associate with any kind of hope 
to feel like there's any kind of future that I might have that could be good. Because you're in the middle of the pain, you're in the middle of the bitterness, you're feeling like that heaviness, and you're just like, there's no way out. There's nothing good out there. And this is where Naomi was right now. Her name or her life wasn't defined by pleasantness anymore. It was defined by bitterness. I once heard this kind of cool analogy that bitterness is described like this, is that you watch your pain on replay. And so it's kind of like if you had a scene of something you went through that was horrible, and then you take the remote and you rewind it. And then you press play and then you watch it. And then you rewind it again and then you watch it in slow motion. And it's like you just don't move past it. And again, I'm not saying we can't feel pain, but revisiting it repeatedly and watching it and then using that as like a weapon for why we are this way is not what God wants. Being like, this is what I went through. This is why I hate people. This is why I hate church. This is why I hate everything. It's because this person did this to me. There's two separate things. There's the pain that you've gone through, which is valid. And then there's how you choose to deal with that pain. Bitterness is like preserving our pain and rewinding it and watching it again and again, reliving it constantly. Now, don't get me wrong. Naomi has a reason to be upset. One of my friends this week reminded me of this, which was really cool. She was saying, sometimes in Christian circles, we forget to let people know that they're allowed to have feelings. You're allowed to feel angry. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be frustrated. All those things are valid emotions. But the actions that you choose to take, the way you deal with that pain, that's on you. In the midst of Naomi's pain, in the midst of our pain, God is still working. And the thing that bitterness does is it makes us forget that. In verse 21, you kind of see Naomi saying that. She's like, I left Bethlehem full. She's like, I have my sons, I had my husband, I had everything. And now I come back and I'm empty. Look at me, I'm empty. I have nothing. But that wasn't true. She forgot. She didn't see the blessings that God had already given her. She didn't see that Ruth had come with her to care for her. She'd given up everything to be with Naomi. She'd given up her whole entire life because she loved Naomi. Naomi wasn't empty. She didn't have nothing. Bitterness keeps us from seeing the good that God is doing in our lives. This is definitely, was definitely true for me. It was easy in my situation to look around and be like, well, I have nothing. Look at what's happened to me. I have nothing, but that wasn't true. I wasn't seeing the good things that were there. I wasn't seeing what God was doing. It doesn't mean that we aren't allowed to feel pain or be heartbroken, but allowing bitterness to come doesn't benefit us in our pain. So we move on to Ruth chapter 2. At this point, they had traveled back to Bethlehem, so they're living there now. They're, 
I don't know where they're living, it doesn't specify, but we do know that they're still living in poverty. They still have nothing. They aren't living with relatives. They don't have people that are taking care of them. They're basically living on nothing. So in our day, we would probably call that homeless. We'd probably call that without food. You wouldn't have food. And so Ruth, she starts thinking, and she's like, Naomi, we need to do something about this. We can't keep living this way. I'm going to go. I'm going to work in the fields. I'm going to go gather the grain that's left over after people harvest it. So there's these people working in the fields. They're gathering the grain. They're going to be dropping some grain. They're going to be like leaving some stalks of grain still because they're just not being careful. She's like, I'm just going to go find whatever is left over in the fields, and I'm just going to bring it home. So at least we have something to eat. So Naomi's like, that's a good idea. You should do that. And Ruth goes and finds herself in a field of a man whose name is Boaz. So it's, it's, uh, it's not really common at that time for women to just be out on their own. It's actually pretty dangerous. Uh, if they were out working in a field, they probably would want to be in a group because there could be people who would want to harm them. So she's out in the field. She's kind of like far away from the harvesters behind them, kind of coming after them. And then Boaz, the owner of the field, he comes and he's like, hello, everybody. That sounded like Mickey Mouse, sorry. (laughs) That's not how he sounded. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, so, So he comes and he's like, how's it going, everybody? How are my workers doing? And they're all like, great. And then he sees this like lone woman overworking behind their group. And he's just like, who is that? And they're all like, oh, that's just Ruth. She asked if she could like pick the grain we don't want. And Boaz is like, oh. And then she, they're like, yeah, she's a daughter-in-law of Naomi. And Boaz is like, oh, yeah, Naomi's actually a relative of mine. He's like, my, her, her husband who died is my cousin. And so they're just like, cool, cool. And then he's like, Ruth, come over here. She's like, hey. Sorry, I'm just giving you a narration. (laughs) Just trying to bring it to life, you know. Um, Anyways, so she comes over and he's like, you know, you don't have to work all alone over there. That's kind of dangerous. Why don't you come over here and work with the people who I've hired? You can just work right with the group. Just stay with us. And he says, you know, now you have protection and you'll be safer. So in Ruth 2 chapter, or sorry, verse 11 to 12, it says, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So you see here that Ruth's reputation had preceded her. Like she done something, she had done something that was like so out of love for her mother-in-law that people were like, that's pretty cool. Like even though she was technically of an enemy nation, people are looking at her and being like, it's really nice what she did for Naomi because she didn't have to do that. There was no obligation for her to do that. And I kind of want to contrast something here because there's a difference in how Ruth is coping 
with her pain and how Naomi is coping with her pain. And I'm not picking on Naomi, like, I relate to her. I was her, if not worse. And, but the Bible doesn't give any indication that Ruth complained. It wasn't like, oh, my husband's dead, stuck with this woman that won't stop complaining. All she does is say how she has no future. She's making me go to this weird land with her. Like, she's not, like, kicking her feet and, you know, having a tantrum. She's like, let me go work in the fields. It kind of, like, reads as if it's her joy to go and do that, that she wants to do that. I mean, it could be just because she wanted to get away from Naomi. I don't know. She's like, let me go work in the fields. <laughs> Please. No, I'm just kidding. But Ruth, Ruth chose love instead of bitterness. She chose to act out of care for someone else, thinking about someone else's well-being, instead of focusing on her own pain constantly. So at this point, Boaz not only offers her protection, but also a better place to pick grain. And she brings home her harvest to Naomi. She's like, look at all the grain that I got. And Naomi's like, whoa. We kind of see this like spark of life come from Naomi for the first time. In Ruth uh, 2.20, Naomi says, the Lord bless him. She said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. I'll explain what that is in a second. But this is kind of like almost a different Naomi that we're seeing here. It's weird. She was like all bitter and she was kind of like focused on all the bad things. And now she's like, bless him, you know, and she's like excited and encouraged. Naomi starts to feel some hope again. She starts to think, maybe there could be more. Maybe my pain and everything I'm going through, that's not all there is right now. God sees the pain and difficulty that they're in, and he's already working on it. Because it wasn't a coincidence that she was in the field of Boaz, that that's the field that she ended up in. I'll explain why. In that culture at the time, so we talked about like how if you were a widow, you kind of didn't really have a future, right? If you didn't have sons to take care of you. At that time, there was a law under the Levitical law called the guardian redeemer. This was something that it was like kind of like a choice, something you could choose to do. But basically at that time, you could, if you were a close relative of a man who had died, you could be like, I would like to purchase his land. And when you purchased his land, you also would marry his widow so that you could give her a child. And the reason why they did this was, there was two reasons. Number one is that the child or the son that she would be able to have would inherit her first husband's property. So it was like, you're going to have like a continuation of that family, even though it's not technically that family. You're going to still have the continuation. And also to take care of the widow who was left behind so that she would be able to have a future. She would be able to have people to take care of her in her older age. And so Naomi's like, this is our relative. This guy actually, it, he could, if he chooses to, he could redeem us. That's what they would call it. He could redeem us. He could help us. He could save us. And so she says that's what he could do. He's our relative. And Naomi sees 
that Boaz is generous, that he's kind. He's already shown that he's compassionate towards this woman who's working in his fields. And he's been compassionate to Naomi. He didn't just be like, oh, that's nice that she's picking for her, her mother-in-law. He's like, I'm actually going to go the extra mile. I'm going to help her care for Naomi. So in a way that would have been symbolic to that time, Naomi tells Ruth to go and to see Boaz. She basically tells her to go propose to him. <laughs> That'd be the best way to like explain it in our context. Basically, she, she tells him, she says, you could redeem us. And Boaz actually sees that. He's like, well, I don't know what man wouldn't. If he was like, she's like, you could marry me. And he's just like, you're right, I could marry you. But he says, actually, in uh, Ruth 3, 11 to 12, is his response. He says, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So he says, I would love to do that, but I'm not first in line, actually. There's someone else who is more closely related to Naomi's husband than I. But if he won't do it, I will. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing, right? Our, in our culture, that just wouldn't be a situation we'd run into. Like, if you won't marry, he won't marry you, I will. So he says, I'll do it if the other guy won't. And he tells her that he'll take care of the arrangements. He'll make sure that this other man knows this is uh, an option for him, something that he could do. And then he gives her a huge thing of grain for her and her mother-in-law. So again, he's not sending her away empty. He's caring for them already. As you can see, like God's hand still providing, still working. So he goes to the city gates. And at that time, that would be where a lot of business would be conducted. People would sit by the gates and they would have conversations. The elders would come together. There'd be witnesses. There'd be business transactions that would happen. And so Boaz goes and sits there and then he sees this man that is before him, that is next in line to redeem the land and also marry Ruth. And he's like, come over here. I have to let you know something. So the man comes over and there's all these witnesses. And so in Ruth 4, 3 to 6, we kind of see this conversation happening. It says, Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I could bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I, can, I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I can't redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So it, doesn't, it kind of gives us a little bit of a how, why is he saying no to Ruth? But I have my own opinion. I think that Boaz really wanted to marry Ruth. Maybe that's just my perspective. But I think that he was like, yeah, you'll get all this land. It's going to be great. And the guy's like, that does sound great. I would like more land. 
And then he's like, but also you have to marry this Moabite. Who would want her, right? And then the guy's just like, oh, um, actually, I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. It's kind of like when you, if you ever had younger siblings and you're just like, oh, yeah, I don't want the bigger half of that cookie. Oh, my gosh. I just don't think I could eat that much, you know? It's pretty gross. And then they're like, you're right, it is pretty gross. You're like, oh, I'll take it. It's okay, I'll have it. I'll, t- I'll take the bullet, you know? I feel like this is a situation that he's in there. He's like, I suppose I will do the task then, since you don't want to. But only if you're sure, you know? So in front of witnesses, Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. He says, okay, I will buy the land. I'll redeem the land. I'll marry Ruth as well. And everyone sees this, and so it's like official. So at that time, there's like this this change, right? Things are now different for Ruth and Naomi. Things are now... It's like there's a different kind of future. It was one of those things where maybe she thought that things would be, there would be hopelessness, that there wouldn't be a future. But we read in chapter 4, it goes from verse 14 all the way to 17. The woman said to Naomi, oh, sorry. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who on this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For the daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. So it's kind of a different scene, right? If you think about the beginning, where Naomi had been, she was in Moab. She's in this hostile nation, and she doesn't have a future. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have sons. But now it says here she has a grandson, and in that time it would have been the same as if it was in her family, like her son had had this child. She has this new future now, and she gets to care for him. She gets to be there with him. People are seeing this happen. These women are coming forward and being like, Naomi, look at this. Look at this future that you have now. You have have a son. Look, the Lord has redeemed you. Before, she couldn't see what God was doing. She couldn't look and see, well, this is still good. She was kind of like me in my situation. She couldn't look and see, wow, I still have a future. But now look at her. Look at her life. Ruth has come with her all the way. She has helped her. She has cared for her in her old age. But she's also been given this grandson, and she's gotten to be a part of seeing new life happen. And this was like almost like a restorative moment for Naomi. This lady who had actually changed her name to Bitter One is now seeing the future that God had, the, the restorative future that he had planned. And it's such a big plan that God had that it even extends to her lineage, right? Like, she doesn't even get to see the fulfillment of what God did because she's going to pass away before it happens. But her grandson, Obed, became the father to Jesse, who became the father to a shepherd boy named David. 
And then David became king of Israel and is in, in the family line of Jesus. It's just such a big monumentous thing that just happened with the birth of this baby. And it's all because Ruth was faithful. It's all because Ruth went with her and because God had a plan. Because there was something bigger, even in Naomi's pain, he was still working. And there was still hope. I'm going to call the worship team up, if, if you guys can. I don't know about you guys, but... There's been a lot of times lately where I have to turn off my phone or I have to delete Facebook because I look around and everything seems pretty hopeless. I look around at the state of the world, politics, everything that's going on with COVID, all the division that's happening that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. People who won't even speak to family members because they have such different opinions. And sometimes I think, how could God redeem this? Like, how could there be something good on the other side? How could there be hope when everything that's going on looks so bad? Everything that's going on in life looks so bad. But I don't know about you guys, when I read the book of Ruth, I think to myself, I'd rather go through struggles like Ruth instead of Naomi. I'd rather look at the situation around me and think, yes, this is painful, but how am I going to love somebody today? How am I going to focus on what someone else might need? How can I help somebody else through something hard? It's not to diminish what I'm going through, but it's to remind me of the hope that I have, the future that I have, and the purpose that I have. There's more to life than being stuck in bitterness. There's more to life than focusing on our pain. And I'm not trying to talk down on Naomi, and I'm not trying to diminish how she would have been feeling. But honestly, sometimes we overlook the fact that Ruth was struggling too. She had also had her husband die. She was also basically alone other than Naomi. She didn't really have a future, and she was basically, by choosing to go with Naomi, she was choosing not to have a future. Because there's really no guarantee that any Jewish person would want to marry a Moabite. She was also childless, and she found herself in a nation that was hostile towards her people. But in her pain, she kept moving forward. She loved Naomi so well that people who didn't even know her took notice. And while, she was, while Naomi was bitter and angry and difficult to be around, Ruth was there. And she didn't try to like guilt trip her or get her to you know, snap out of it. She was just there for her. She helped her. She encouraged her. And she cared for her. She didn't allow bitterness to take root in her heart. She didn't allow those things to sink in. She still felt pain. But she didn't allow those things to change who she was and why she was there. And I know it can be easy to let bitterness take root. I know it can be easy to justify our behavior with all the things that we've gone through, to play our pain over and over again, to watch it on, on very slow motion, and to tell people, this is why. And there's, there is a reason for it. But there's also something else. 
And that is that the longer that we hold on to pain, the heavier it gets. And soon it starts to sink into our spirit and soon bitterness comes. And just with everything that God tells us not to do, there's a reason. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind and forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And that's because bitterness poisons our soul. You become toxic to everyone around you. You lose trust in God. You have a fruitless faith. You isolate yourself. You alienate yourself. You hate others. And you wallow in self-pity. It's easy to become bitter when bad things happen and be like happy when good things happen. That's easy. But James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, with whatever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And again, that's a verse we read over really quickly, and we're just like, yeah, that's really cool. But it's crazy. It's crazy to think that when you face something difficult, when there's something hard in front of you, that you could actually see that as an opportunity. You can be like, you know what? I'm really not looking forward to this, but I'm going to go for it because I want to persevere and I want to be made complete and I don't want to be lacking anything. And I know how hard it is because I was there and I did not see it that way. I wasn't like, yes, I'm so excited to be going through this right now. And I didn't see it as a chance to persevere, and I didn't see how there could be hope for the future or what good God could bring from it. And I know some of you in sitting in here or watching online, you've probably been through things that I can't even imagine and hardships that I can't even fathom. But things are going to be hard whether you go through them or they'll be harder if you allow bitterness to take root and grow and multiply in your heart. Because uprooting something that's been planted so deeply, that bitterness, that seed of it, that's just been sitting in there and growing and taking over, is harder than dealing with your pain. And the results of your bitterness, those, those relationships that you'll lose, the person that you'll become, that is hard to deal with. Because then you have to backtrack when you realize, I've let bitterness grow. I need to uproot that. And then you need to go and you need to say, I'm sorry. I f please forgive me for how I was. And then you need to hope that that person is also going to forgive you. And that those relationships can be restored. It's hard to deal with, but it's possible. And it's better to deal with it when it's a small root than when it's a huge, gigantic tree. So the ways that we do this is we remember the goodness of God. And the struggle that I had was that I didn't let God define what was good. I looked at my own life and I said, this isn't good. And I'm not saying that God is out there smiting people, causing all these things, but I don't get to define what good is. God does. We don't get to define what good is. So we might have to preach to ourselves a little bit. 
We might have to say, look what God's done in my life. Look what he's doing in my life. We might have to remind ourselves of what those things are. Whatever it is that evil intended for me, it won't stand. Because of what God did, I will focus on what he did, not what I'm going through right now. Because of the cross, I will believe he is good. I will believe that he has a good purpose and that he has a plan for my life and that there's more to it than this. You might have to say those things to yourself when things are hard. Naomi couldn't see what God was doing the whole time while she was refusing to see it. He was still working. While she was wallowing in her bitterness, he was still there. He still had a plan. He was providing for her. He was working something out. And sometimes we complain, we shake our fists at God, we doubt him, we ask him, why? I've been there. We're like, why on earth would you do this? And he's not scared of our questions. But he does, he is working when we doubt him. He's working when we question him. And he wants to give us new hope, new joy, and new life. And I know that's hard to hear sometimes when you're going through hardship. We don't have to become bitter through our pain. We can deal with our pain. And then we can say, I'm not going to let my pain define who I am. I'm not going to speak those things over myself like Naomi did. I'm not going to say, I'm bitter now. This is just who I am. And look at everything that has led to this. And with the trials that a lot of us are facing right now, we have a choice to make. Are we going to let those seeds take root in our heart? towards our neighbor, towards our family members, towards our friends, towards God? Or are we going to uproot that bitterness and deal with our pain before it grows into something that we have to uproot with a shovel? And this isn't to minimize our pain and our loss. Naomi had been through a lot, but he is good. And he defines what's good. And he makes everything good. And so we can hold on to those promises when we're feeling pain, when we're feeling bitterness. We can be like, I refuse. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel so tired of rolling over whenever the enemy bears his teeth and just being like, okay, I guess this is just who I am now. Sometimes we just have to stand and fight against it. And sometimes we have to persevere through it so we can be stronger. And sometimes we have to ignore every thought that would tell us we can't do it. And we have to say no. God is good. And because of what he did on the cross, I don't have to be bitter. And you know what else from the story of Ruth, just before I close today, is that we see foreshadowing in Boaz. He redeems Ruth he redeems her lineage and Naomi's lineage. But Jesus redeems us. So when we're in that place where we're bitter and we're sad and we're angry and we're just railing at the world, Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to redeem you. Take my hand. I'm going to turn you into the person that you're meant to be. I'm going to uproot that bitterness that you've allowed in your heart. It's not going to define who you are. 
Your pain and everything you've gone through doesn't define who you are. Jesus does. And he makes things good. So even if we're in the midst of a difficult season, even though our, heart, our hearts may be broken or we might be in a lot of pain, we can hold out for that good future that he has. And we can look at the things that he's doing now. And we can say, yeah, there's all this bad stuff, but look at all the good he's doing. And look at how I'm growing stronger in my faith. And look at how I'm persevering because of what he did. And so today, I don't know if you are struggling with bitterness or you're struggling with pain and you just need somebody to come into that situation and just pray with you. But we're going to have some people up front to pray for you. Um, if you guys need prayer, I encourage you to come up or pull someone aside and just say, I, I really feel like God wants me to deal with this today. And don't let it keep going. Don't let the bitterness keep growing. Don't shrug it off. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and convicting your heart right now, don't ignore it. Say, okay, I'm going to start dealing with this. It might be hard. It might take a little while. But I'm not going to let another day go on where I just say, fine, this is just who I am. My circumstances define who I am. Don't let that happen. Jesus defines who you are. <laughs>